We are a week out from the trade deadline, and the Astros have their list. We'll see what Santa Brown leaves under Dusty's tree. It's episode 33 of Stone Cold Shows, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange, joined by senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. He writes a weekly blog for sportsmap.com. Follow him on Twitter at Palillo. Also joined by sportsmap.com editor Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at Josh Jordan975. When you're not listening to us, make sure you're listening to ESPN 97.5, 92.5 on your radio dial. Charlie, it's episode 33. Normally, there are a few options. Last week, there was literally one option for 32. This week, I'm going to say there's practically one option. No disrespect to John Mayberry, but tell us uh, something interesting about the one and only Astros pitcher, Mike Scott. Well, uh, I was actually prepared to go with John Mayberry and leave Mike Scott to you, but... I will, uh, I will adapt and throw a little scuffed split finger action on this one. Uh, I had a 20-win season. It was not 1986 when he won the Cy Young Award and was incredible and dominated and scared the bejeebers out of the Mets. The ultimate what-if game probably in Astros history, well, other than maybe if A.J. Hinch handles the pitching decisions in Game 7 a little different against the Nationals. But if the Astros had beaten the Mets in that all-time, all-timer, Game 6, 16 innings where the Mets won the pennant at the Astrodome with Mike Scott looming for a seventh game, may well have been the Astros' first-ever World Series appearance would have been 37 years ago in 1986. Had to wait a good while after that, but not because of Mike Scott that they had to wait. I tell you what, keep that juicy John Mayberry material. I think what we're going to do is since we – uh, since we didn't do this until a few episodes, a few dozen episodes into this, uh, maybe we'll, once we hit a hundred, maybe we'll just do the first few on the front end of the, uh, the hundred episodes. I also, before we get into our topic, want to give a shout out to my vet, Dr. Bush. Uh, we've been taking our animals to him for a couple of years and we found out he and his family are listeners to the podcast. So shout out Dr. Bush. All right, guys. So let's get into it. Uh, we go from uh, Astros pitching legend to a guy we all hoped was on that path after his dominance last year. Christian Javier struggles this season have been well-documented over the past month. And he, it started in the Met series where he really couldn't get out of that third inning. And he went into that game with a 2.90 ERA five starts later, finds himself with a four, dot three two era and i have a hard time putting a lot of stock into pitching performances against the a's but at this point i'll take what i can get especially when fromber has also struggled uh his uh, partner in crime at the top of the uh, rotation there has struggled as well not to the same extent but those guys started the first month of this season with the league's best era for a one two uh combo how are we feeling now about houston's one two punch uh, Fromber, I expect to be fine. If anything, maybe he was just due to level off a little. And that was then impacted by the ankle problem before the break and then the minor calf tweak. Uh, I expect Fromber to be fine. If not, uh, Javier, you never know when a guy will catch a second wind. Uh, will they mix in a little six man or with off days, skip him another turn here or there? Do they fortify the rotation and give them alternatives to Christian Javier, who was very good 
over the first three months or so of the season, but not dominant, right? Giving up many more hits than he did last year, not striking out guys the way that he did last year, which could have been a good thing if you're pitching more efficiently, harnessing pitch counts and so forth. But it's quite obvious the workload of last season plus the first half of this season, whether you want to call it a, a dead arm, uh, you know, you mentioned anything against Oakland, you have to grade on a curve. Gave up just one hit in five and two thirds, but walked six guys. Dusty was actually right to pull him. Phil Maton failed uh, in that game. So Javier's a, a colossal concern because when you get Jose Arquiti back after a couple more rehab starts in the minors, it's not like you're thinking that Arquiti's going to come back and be an ace number two type starter. He's never been that in his career. Uh, Hunter Brown, which way is the pendulum going to swing on him the rest of the way? J.P. France, meanwhile, just keep on trucking. So their rotation just clearly is not the level of uh, when they were four or five deep with really good guys or Verlander, Cole, one, two. Fromber and a lot of crossed fingers right now. Yeah, and I'm not worried about Fromber, but four or more earned runs in three of his last five starts. So that's not very Fromber-like. I'm going to chalk a lot of that up. He's kind of pitching through some nagging injuries. I, I think he'll be fine, but – you know, that you expect a little more from Fromber. Javier, I'm a little more optimistic. I mean, these last two starts, they've been a whole lot better than the ones before that. That's for sure. Strikeups are going up. That's a good sign. It looks like that release point is starting to get resolved. They're figuring that out. I remember right before the playoffs started last year when Javier he kept flying open with that shoulder and Julia Morales did a piece about how he kind of figured that out. And that's that's why he got a lot better and didn't walk as many people heading into the playoffs last year. So I almost feel like we're getting the, the Javier before he figured out that little mechanical adjustment where he was a little more wild last year. But that's okay. It's a step in the right direction. And I'm also encouraged with, with Javier because of Hunter Brown. We're seeing the same stuff from him. These are guys that have never pitched this much in their career, and, and they're kind of going through it right now. That, that's why I'd like to see them grab some more pitching here before the deadline so they can not have to have those guys throw so much, have them a little more fresh when they really need them. Fromber's struggles are curious because he's a ground ball pitcher who uh, is seeming to not induce the ground ball right now. Uh, but Christian Javier... I almost wonder if he's a little out of shape. Uh, just visually, he appears to be uh, a little out of shape. Uh, and I and so then I wonder too. Do you, do you guys wonder how much of the pitch clock now is having an impact on the performances of these guys and kind of their adaptation to that? Well, if so, shame on them. In Javier's case, he's 26 years old. Uh, he's a big sweater. Some guys are just big sweaters. Uh, I can't say I've really put video last year to this year to look as he as he spent some of that 64 million dollars uh in the chow line um I, i'm just gonna go with the the fairly clear evidence that blowing through his career high in innings work last year followed being by being on pace to blow through that number this year has has caught up with him um you know at least there's been no injury attached to it you know you hope there's not any sort of underlying issue uh, a career is not always linear. So maybe a Javier settles back to where, you know, four years from now, we're saying five years, 64 million for him was a steal. But year one at this point, no steal.
Nah, and it, his spin for his curveball is looking pretty good. It, it's it's his fastball spin which is affecting Javier, and we know that's kind of the the magic of that pitch for him. But just looking at the numbers, he's 48th percentile for fastball spin this year. Last year, 79th percentile. So that's a big difference, and that's a pitch he relies on a lot, a ton. A name that keeps getting brought up uh, in trade rumors is Justin Verlander, obviously, because the Mets suck and a lot of teams need starting pitching. The Astros being one of those. And by the way, let's be, you know, I'll be Captain Obvious for a second. The Mets went from uh, the poster child of going for it all to the poster child of why you can't buy championships. Uh, we've, We've talked about how the Astros don't have any top 100 prospects in their farm to trade. Uh, But JV has a no trade clause, so he gets to pick the destination. Uh, The Mets may not necessarily be looking to unload JV. Uh, They may just want to retool their roster, considering how much they did invest into that roster this uh, past offseason. Uh, but they also may not want to be on the hook for that $43 million that is guaranteed to, him, uh, guaranteed to him as he has not looked Cy Young caliber this year and, and is carrying a uh, 5.18 ERA on the road. Could we see one more run with JV in the H? Follow the money. Verlander's ERA over his last seven starts is about 250. So not Cy Young, Justin Verlander of 2022, but 250 is pretty darn fine. But this is about how much pay down might Steve Cohen offer. Uh, Verlander, as you said, can turn down somewhere else. Would he turn down the Dodgers? Right? I don't think he's going to the Rays or the Diamondbacks. Um, I don't think Kate's acting career has really taken off, right? So Hollywood might not have the lore it might have in years gone past. Obviously had great success here, has great familiarity here. Would they be gung-ho uh, about coming back here? But it's about the contract, right? Jim Crane and the Astros, eminently defensively, had no interest in bidding at the level that it took to sign Verlander. He's making 43.33333 million this year, another 43.333 million next year. And if he throws 140 innings next season, not an incredible workload, well, there's a 35 million vest for 2025 when he'll be 42 years old. Uh, So the Astros are not going to give up any sort of prospect capital and take on that contract. So uh, everything in life supposedly negotiable. If the Mets would pay down half of that contract, what does it impact on what prospects you give back? What's the number where Jim Crane's thinking, well, if I can get Verlander for $25 million for next year and pro rata at that salary for this year, and then what do you do about that vesting option in 2025? Make sure he throws no more than 139 and two-thirds innings next year. So I, I think a lot of tumblers would have to click into place, uh, but it's kind of fun to think about. Yeah. I mean, we talk about how much money it is, but if you took what Michael Brantley's making this year and then you took what Abreu's making this year and then you throw in Montero and that's what Verlander's getting paid. I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty and everything, but you just look at if they would have spent that money a little differently. I mean, couldn't a Dubon played first base and there's not a huge difference right there? I, I know Dubon's kind of come out of nowhere, but it's funny. I look back at Dubon's stats and he had a really poor year last year, but the years before that, he he wasn't nearly as poor a hitter. So I think we have a little bit of a different view of Dubon here because we weren't familiar with his career until he came to Houston. But yeah, I'd like to see him go after JV. They need pitching. The window, who knows how much longer they're going to have this thing open. I say go for it, but it's not my money. So we'll see what Jim Crane wants to do. 
Okay, gents, I want to do something very different here. I want to talk about something that I think has flown under the radar for most of this season, if not all seasons, Dusty Baker's lineups. And if, if that was a tweet, I would have ended it with a sarcasm tag. We went from joking at the beginning of the season that we were afraid of seeing Mauricio Dubon in the leadoff spot to now hoping that we see Mauricio Dubon in the leadoff spot. That's because it it's we'd rather see that than a guy like Bly Madras. Now, the quirky lineups are definitely worth talking about, especially when your manager is pitch hitting for his leadoff hitter late in games, as John Grenard noted on Twitter. Uh, that's a pretty good indicator that you're that that player should not be in the leadoff spot if you don't trust him late in games. And on the other hand, um, there is a Bly Madras on the Astros roster. There's also a David Hensley of the uh 120 batting average David Hensley's uh, that's being called up to fill holes on the main roster. How much of this is on Dusty and the quirky lineups and the shuffling of the lineups? And how much do we begin to question Dana Brown for the tools that he's giving to Dusty Baker? And I guess it also worth asking too, how much should we just shut our mouths because the Astros have gone 20 and 17 without Jordan? Well, we'd never shut our mouths. There wouldn't be much <laughs> stone-cold strokes if that were the case. Uh, Dana Brown, to me, gets a pass here. He got the job in January, right? All the off-season maneuvering was basically done at that point. The Astros' roster depth without Jordan, without Altuve, it's terrible, right? You look at the guys in reserve most days, and they're typically not major league ball players. Uh, you're going to likely get a ceiling on returns from guys like Corey Jolks, three for his last 36. Uh, Dubon's been a great story. He's not a good offensive player. He's a sub-700 OPS guy. He's drawn 10 walks with 327 at-bats, on-base percentage 293. Hey, he hit the game-winning home run on Sunday, and Jeremy Pena should be sending him flowers and candy. Uh, Jeremy Pena's a freaking disaster right now. He belongs with the Space Cowboys. That's how bad Jeremy Pena has been over the last couple of months. So there are certain buttons that Dusty can be pushing, and you just don't have good buttons to push. However, the Maldonado-Diaz thing, if Dana Brown can't make a notable trade to fortify the bench and obviously pitching's the, the priority, well, maybe he can pick up at Barnes & Noble, line up making for dummies, and leave that in the manager's office. The Maldonado thing, frankly, if you're an Astros fan or an Astro, it's the point of offensive. Post-Memorial Day, you guys want to do a little Price is Right thing? One of you? Higher, lower? It's one of their games. Post-Memorial Day. Who wants this? Josh, you want it? Sure. Post-Memorial Day, going into the Rangers series, Martin Maldonado's batting average is? Go. 140. Lower. 120. Lower. 100. Higher. 110. Higher. 115. Lower. 114. Lower. 112. Higher. 113. Ding, 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 ding. 113. You could raffle off his spot in the batting order to fans in the stands and have a 50-50 shot of someone hitting 113. OPS 423. Team ERA with the pitchers. Lower when Yiner Diaz is catching. The Saturday night game in Oakland. You're down 2-1 in the seventh inning. You don't hit for Martin Maldonado. Two innings later, Yano Diaz this close to tying the game when pinch hitting for Martin Maldonado. Then Maldonado remains the primary catcher. It's to the point of pure lunacy 
idiocy or any other C you want to throw in here, but it's a grade F, not C, for Dusty on that component of lineup making. Dubon Pena won two. What, because they run kind of fast? In Pena's case, quite fast. The job is to get on base. Chaz McCormick continuing to bat seventh in some, in some circumstances. Uh, there are things that Dusty has done with the lineup that are to the point of unconscionable and beyond indefensible. Yeah, I, I was watching the game with some friends yesterday and, you know, seeing <laughs> Bly Madras hitting in front of Chaz McCormick. The way Chaz has been hitting this year, he's been incredible. And, of course, the left-handed thing came up. And I'm like, yeah, he has to hit there because he's left-handed and he's terrible. Like, what does it matter if he's a bad hitter, if he's left or right-handed or not? It's super frustrating. We've been on the Chaz train for a while. Dusty still we're starting to see him play pretty much every day, but look what that took to make that happen. And he's still batting way down in the lineup. I don't get it. When Pena was hitting really well in the two hole, he didn't want to play him there. And and now it, you're starting to worry, you know, is Pena going to pull out of this? I don't, we talked about this all last season with Dusty and then they won the world series and all these kind of conversations went away. And here we are again this year and Dusty's making these head scratching lineup decisions and calls and we're talking about it again so he, i just feel like he's a different manager in the the regular season versus the postseason yeah. he's tactically challenged frankly always has been right he's a greatest free to core guy and a player's manager in over 162 games morale's really important as long as you have the core talent uh to do it um you know a lot of this gets cleaned up when decisions largely get taken out of dusty's hands if and when you have Altuve leading off almost every day and Jordan batting third almost every day, right, then things kind of fall into place, presuming Bregman staying in the two-hole, Tucker four, and then you just sort it out between Abreu and McCormick, and then you get to Diaz. Diaz, Dusty, Diaz. Uh, and then Pena down toward the bottom, and then whoever the ninth starter is, whether it's Jolks or Myers in the outfield is Jordan DHing a given day, or Altuve, who's not going to play second base every day when he's DHing, uh, is Dubon at second there. Um, but you know, the components of the lineup are largely dusty proofed once you get Altuve and Alvarez back in there. And and I, I agree with your premise that Dana Brown's mostly you know, uh, a made man right now because of the situation that he walked into kind of late, but. On the other hand, it is it is curious to bring up a David Hensley who's hitting 120 at the big club and not doing really much better uh, down in AAA as well. Don't you think there's some maneuvering that could happen with the 40-man? So maybe we could see a guy like Pedro Leon. I mean, we've heard about the legend of Pedro Leon for many years now, and we haven't seen him get an opportunity. In a time in which you're you're struggling to find big sticks in the lineup, maybe it is time to take a look at this guy. You, you've got you know John Singleton, who's been you know on a home run tear down in AAA. I know he doesn't have any options, and I know he's not on the 40-man, but that's kind of my point. Like, isn't in a time in which you're kind of in need and, and searching for uh, really anything at this point, isn't that a kind of a time to maybe take some unconventional approaches to things? Singleton, I leave aside. He's just never shown he can hit major league pitching. Uh, but Leon, the name you throw up, throw out there, uh, you know, he really didn't take to the infield uh, very well. They tried him at short, tried him at second. Well, whatever. In an emergency spot, you could put him in a middle infield position. And, and obviously, he has the, the center fielder uh, pedigree. 
he's 24 years old now. So this isn't some babe in the woods. So, you know, the idea that, well, we, we don't want to call him up to sit on the bench. Right? We want him playing every day, still getting the reps and still developing and ripening the apple and so forth. At some point, let's go here. You know, it's about the 2023 Astros trying to defend their World Series championship. But even accepting the point, okay, we're not going to call him up if we're not going to put him in the lineup, to call up Hensley and then DH him, what are you doing? You're calling up Hensley to be the guy who you sit on the bench and if everyone else gets hurt or we're out of pinch runner possibilities in the 12th inning and someone has to go in there, but he inserts him at a designated hitter. You know, Greg Kessinger leading off one game. Uh, it's, it's like other than Kyle Tucker in the three spot, Dusty draws the lineup out of the hat some days. Yeah, and as far as the outfield goes, but even plenty of those guys, he loves to stick Jake Myers in there, even at the expense of Chaz. He loves playing Corey Jolks. I don't think he's getting away from those guys. That's true. Uh, well, let's, you know, you brought up Kyle Tucker. Let's talk about Kyle Tucker because this is not a weakness in the lineup. This has been one of the more steady uh, bats in the lineup last week's narrative on this channel sp specifically went from uh, maybe you should trade tuck since he's your most valuable asset uh, and you know won't be able to re-sign him when his uh, when his contract is up to let's give this guy a blank check but the Astros you know refused to open the checkbook or answer the phone for Carlos Correa that looks like it was the right move Kyle Tucker doesn't come with those same health concerns as Correa did with Jordan and Altuve out for large chunks of the season, Tuck and Chaz, to your point, have kept the offense afloat. So I, I just wonder, would letting Tucker walk be a grave mistake for this franchise? Well, you have to see what your roster composition a couple of years from now uh, is. Um, you know, Altuve and Bregman, they're up after 2024. Altuve will also be 34 years old at that point, and Bregman will be 30. And what level player? Right? Who are your tent pole players, other than Jordan Alvarez? One once 2025 gets here, uh, the idea of thinking about trading Tucker preposterous. You know, well, the Nationals traded Juan Soto. The Nationals were garbage and knew they had no chance to keep Juan Soto. The Astros may say we're never going to go to eight years, 250 million on Kyle Tucker. Well, the Astros are still in a championship winning and contending window. It's not as wide open as it was three, two, or one year ago, but it's still open, by the way, including this season, so that you would trade your 26-year-old best durable player. Jordan's a better hitter, but attendance is part of the grade. Kyle Tucker doesn't miss games. Um, come on. You're not going to get equitable return on Tucker. If this was his walk year, then maybe, maybe you'd think about it in a, in a much, much lower rent Otani uh, type mode. But Tucker is under control for two more years, like Framber Valdez. Right? The Astros aren't well positioned going forward after 2025. All right, that's something they'll have to grapple with. But, you know, that, oh, no, two years and two months from now, you could lose these guys. That's not exactly uh, evoking baseball tragedy, given what the Astros could accomplish between now and then with those two guys. And what are you getting in return for Tucker? Are you just talking about some prospects that may or may not pan out when you have him under control? Like Charlie's talking about, you have a world series window here and with Jordan and Altuve too. I mean, these guys have, they've been banged up. They missed a lot of games. What would, where would this team be without Kyle Tucker right now? You can't tinker with that. He's got to stick around. It's been him and Chaz and Bregman starting to come around, but we know Breggy's streaky. You know, he's getting a little older, too. So 
Tucker's your guy. And I think if you were really talking about long-term deals, I think Tucker could command a bigger deal than Jordan because we know Jordan got a, a very team-friendly deal, to put it mildly. And like Charlie talked about, you know, participation's part of the grade. The, the, the best ability is availability, and, and Tucker plays. And as much as we love Jordan, we have to just, you know, live with the fact that he's a little injury-prone, and, and he's going to miss games every year. That's, that's just part of the deal. Yeah, six years, 115 for Jordan. That's under $20 million per year. Uh, Kyle Tucker right now, if you went to him, uh, numbers I threw out last week, you know, seven years, 175. That's 25 million per year. Does he scoff? What do you mean only seven years? Or wait, seven years, 175. That's that's more per year than Austin Riley got with the Braves. 10 years, 212 million, still years away from free agency. Uh, but that you are still years away from hitting that open market does influence negotiation. You know, if Kyle Tucker is not harboring bitterness, you know, what's the degree of elephant's memory? You know, a la George Springer, when my time to get to market arrives, don't be thinking any discount because above all else, I want to stay with the Houston Astros. No, no, no. But, you know, it's not like the fuse is burning down to where the explosion is, is imminent. The Astros have Kyle Tucker under control through the 2025 season, so it's not a now or never type situation. I do wonder about that roster construction and, and what that looks like, because I do wonder if it, means you know we we look down the road a couple years jose altuve is going to be up alex bregman's going to be up uh bregman you know josh you talked about it it's he's he's been up and down he's having a good run right now uh but you know we'll see how long that that lasts and granted like the most important performance is always in the postseason and and bregman was phenomenal in the postseason uh last year but you have to get there and so we'll have to see you know how this roster is constructed but i do wonder if maybe their minds wouldn't be changed a little bit, just if it, if it was the difference in keeping the window open, being able to have Kyle Tucker as a cornerstone uh, of your franchise and, and knowing that you have that guy locked up. But when you look at his last seven games, his batting average is 429 with a slugging of a thousand. Now granted a three home run, a three home run game will definitely do that. But even looking at a larger sample size where last 30 games, his average is 339 with a slugging of 652. This guy is, is on a tear right now. It's not, you know, you can't say this is a streak. He's he's doing it in a large portion of the season. This team would be much worse off if they did not have Kyle Tucker help keeping them afloat during this uh, time in which they've been without uh, Jordan for almost 40 games and been without Altuve for, I believe, around 15 games now, uh, at least this latest stretch. So I, I don't know. Josh, to your point, it's just a matter of what do you get back for him? Prospects, Charlie said all the time, you know, uh, potential is about all the things you haven't achieved yet. And so, like, I don't know what you get back that is equivalent to what Ty, that Kyle Tucker is doing currently on the major league roster and, and doing it at a high level and higher level than his peers right now. And you, there just is no prospect that you can get in that's going to be more valuable than that and if you need any proof of that then just look at Forrest Whitley who by the way we haven't even mentioned it is back down with injury again and I think is now on the 60-day IL so 
I, I don't see a, a scenario in which trading away Kyle Tucker makes sense, especially not this year. Uh, so guys, that's going to do it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week, but you don't have to wait that long to get used in Sports Fix. All you have to do is subscribe to Sports Map Houston on YouTube. John Granato, Lance Zerline, Josh, will all have you covered there. And remember, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 has you covered on your radio dial. Thanks to producer Jack for pushing the buttons and thanks to everyone for listening. And until next time, go Strohs. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so.